Week 39 of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. Oh my God, lots to talk about, but here's a first. Today's show is brought to you by WarbyParker.com. Get a free five-day home try-on at www.WarbyParker.com slash Han, that's H-A-H-N. Give it a try, Uh, you know, five days, 100% free. I mean, you can't go wrong with that, right? I mean, everybody who needs glasses would like to see how they look. They'll give you five pairs. You try them on. Give it a try. I can't believe all that's gone on in this two-week period that was supposed to just be easy, light, fun. We're headed towards war with Iran, and now John Bolton's ready to testify. Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. You and I as citizens have the obligation to shape the debates of our time, not only with the votes we cast, but with the voices we lift. The people are looking for honest answers, not easy answers. The very word secrecy is repugnant. Clear leadership. And we are as a people. Not false claims and evasiveness and politics as usual. Opposed to secret society. But ours was a nation of the battle. Not the bullet. And a secret procedure. As a people, we cannot afford to let any group of citizens or any individual citizens live or labor under conditions which are injurious to the commonwealth. Black, white, Latino, Asian, Native American, young, old, gay, straight, men, women, folks with disabilities, all pledging allegiance under the same proud flag to this big, bold country that we love. That's what I see. That's the America I know. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. There is nothing wrong with America that cannot be cured by what is right with America. All right. Uh, Look, I I hope you all had a good holiday break because it's 2020 now and there is no looking back. And if you didn't think the stakes of this election were high before the president committed an extrajudicial killing of an Iranian official, look, terrorist, I am uh, not crying over the death of Soleimani. But he wasn't a stateless terrorist. He was basically the second in command of Iran. He was in charge of the, he was it was like killing the Secretary of Defense or the vice president or somebody like that. It, it was uh, a major escalation in our conflict with Iran, a, an escalation that has gotten worse over the past three and a half years because the President of the United States, decided to unilaterally pull out of the Iranian Iranian nuclear deal, which wasn't the greatest deal ever forged, but it did create diplomatic channels between us and the Iranians that did solve some crises. Like when, you know, our one of our Navy frigates was taken and within 24 hours, uh, John Kerry was able to secure the release of those, uh, of those sailors and the ship, you know, look, um, this president thinks everything Obama did was wrong and everything he does is right. This is uh, an escalation that is going to, it's going to have us wringing our hands because Congress is going to be unwilling to act, at least the Senate. Look, here's the thing. There was an authorization to use force that caused the Iraq war. And that authorization to use force was specifically about 9-11 and terrorism and... um 
this president is still operating under the authorization to use force. Uh, that was for the war on terror and Obama operated on it. And if you think I wasn't critical of Obama with the drone attacks in Afghanistan and Iran, actually in Iraq, I was. There's plenty on the record of me saying it. Just Google me. You'll find it. I was very critical of it. I don't like it. Uh, you know, it's one of the few areas that Tucker Carlson and I agree on. I don't think we should be going around the world killing everybody. And, you know, if this guy was such an imminent threat, the president should lay the evidence of what his imminent threat out was to the nation. He has not done that. He gave a classified briefing to uh, the speaker who quickly said, this doesn't seem to be enough. This raises more questions than it answers. So it is a, um, you know, we are in a time here where we have a Congress that, at least on the Republican side, refuses to to exercise the power that the Constitution grants them, refuses to do it. They just want to go along to get along so that they can have one more year at the House, one more year in the Senate. I mean, is there is their life back home that bad that they're willing to just ignore the Constitution so that they can just be there? It, it makes no sense to me, America. But here we are. You know, last week was supposed to be an easy week. I did do my podcast. Thank you all for that. Last week was one of my best weeks ever for my podcast. I grew by 15% last week. I think that's because I was one of the few podcasts that put out a new podcast. I didn't put out a mailbag episode or best of. I haven't been around that long. I don't get enough mail and I don't have enough clips. I A lot of the podcasts I listen to uh, other than mine uh, were reruns last week. So I, I had a fresh pod. Uh, for you, and you you rewarded me with downloads. I really do appreciate it. I hope you subscribe, and I hope you'll continue to subscribe, and I hope you'll tell a friend. I hope you like what we're saying here, what we're trying to do here, which is to uh, to, to to rid the country of a, of a man who is unfit to lead it, frankly, and to educate people as to how to talk to their conservative friends and family and, and, and get them to at least question this Fengali-like hold that this president has over his followers. And granted, I know his numbers haven't moved. 42.5% is the average uh, in the 538 uh, polling average, which is the the one I look at. I I look at the real clear average as well, but they take every poll and they treat every poll exactly the same. And there is a method to the madness. And I I do believe uh, that 538 gets it right. And you're going to say, some of you are going to say, oh, they didn't get it right in the general election. That's not true. They showed almost the exact result. Hillary Clinton won the national popular vote. She did. She won it. Um, She lost the Electoral College. And those state polls weren't good. And it was very clear to a lot of people that reliance on national polling and using that to tell the story is the wrong way to go. And hopefully in 2020, there'll be a lot of focus. And I think you've already seen it, a lot of focus on state polls. But we, you know, the way the president has reacted over the weekend, threatening to bomb cultural sites, it's un-American. I'm sorry. I, I don't, look, I am not crying over this guy's death. I'm not. I know he was a bad person who did bad things, but there's a reason why George W. Bush passed on killing him and Obama passed on killing him because it was a major escalation. He is a state actor. 
So yes, has this man been involved with attacks that have killed Americans and other civilians in the Middle East? Yes, he has. Was it correct for the president to unilaterally decide to go out there and kill this guy? Absolutely not. I don't believe he was authorized uh, by our laws. And I think it was extraditional through international, extrajudicial, extrajudicial through international law. And I, I think we should all be very concerned the way this man, I mean, his tweets over the weekend saying that this tweet will serve as notice to Congress that if Iran attacks, I will respond. That's just nonsense. He has no respect for the checks and balances that our founders put in place, and he should be removed just for that. Just for that reason alone. You know, his obstruction of Congress continues to this day, and he he's going to get worse because Republicans are going to are going to save him. They're going to just save him. And they're going to allow him to do whatever he wants whenever he wants it. And they will make excuse after excuse after excuse for whatever comes next. I mean, I don't think we all feel safer because this guy bombed, killed Soleimani. I don't think I don't think we feel safer for that. I don't feel safer. If you feel more safe because of this, please tell me. Go to my Twitter feed at Christopher Hahn or ChristopherHahn.com. Tell me. I, I really want to hear from you. Because, uh, you know, you're lying to me, I think. He's not making the world. You think that when you kill a general in an army, the army just goes away? No, there's another general behind them. That's how armies work. They prepare. Iran is not a small country. We will not have a short war with Iran should we go to war with Iran. And look, I know it's not in their interest to go to war with us. I know it's not in their, in, in their interest to go to war with us. You know, they would, they would suffer greatly, more than we would. But we would still lose people. Young men and women who serve this country bravely will die for nothing because of this man's ego, because he was playing golf at Mar-a-Lago when our embassy was overrun. It's Baghdad Ghazi, America. People were streaming through the walls of the Baghdad U.S. Embassy, and Donald Trump was hanging out at Mar-a-Lago. Never even came back to the White House. Didn't come back to the White House till Monday. Call it Baghdad Ghazi. That's what I'm calling it. Baghdad Ghazi. And he needed to cover that up. And our military gave him options, including this one, which they never thought he'd take. Let me tell you something, military, if you're listening to this. You got to manage up better. You can't present him options that are going to get us deeper into a crisis. I know that you were probably just saying, here's the most extreme option we could give, but we really want this option. I get how that negotiation works. But this is an unhinged human being who's being impeached, who is not respected on the world stage, who has cozied up to dictators and, and, and put distance between us and our allies. He is not fit for this job. And his decision-making is suspect. It is nasty. I mean, I, I for one... I mean, I don't, I don't understand how anyone still supports him. I don't understand how anyone who actually believes in America and has a role in protecting our republic still supports him, members of the Senate. But it's going to get worse, too, because the Senate trial is going to happen. And Nancy Pelosi's, Pelosi's strategy is clearly paying off. We learned this week that 
uh, that Ambassador John Bolton, I almost called him Michael Bolton. I always want to call him Michael Bolton. Uh, no, one has a ponytail. The other one has a weird beard, weird mustache. No, John Bolton has agreed that if he's subpoenaed, he will testify in the Senate. Now, if the Senate decides not to hear his testimony because the Senate, you know, Lisa Murkowski, I think would vote for witnesses. Susan Collins always makes you think she's going to do the right thing and then never does. And if she doesn't do the right thing now, I mean, I think we all need to camp out in Maine and and deal with deal with this, you know, during this election cycle. I think you need to if you if you're really upset about it, time to go to Maine. Maine's beautiful in the fall. Um, you know, especially get there early. Uh, like September, the leaves change very early in Maine, but get there early and work on a campaign to ouster because she's up this year and she will say like, she will sound for a while, like she's going to do the right thing. But if you really parse her words, you know, I'm disappointed. I'm, I'm worried. It's disconcerting. She never says I'm going to make him do it. And you know what? She can make him do it. If she gets on board with her colleague Murkowski and they bring in Mitt Romney, he will have to do it. McConnell will need to allow witnesses. And if Bolton wants to testify, I say let him testify. What are you afraid of, Republicans? I know what you're afraid of. You're afraid of the truth. You're afraid that this man knows where the skeletons are buried. He knows what the president was doing with Ukraine and other things. And you know it won't be as big of a you know, circus act as it would be in the House. You don't have a Jim Jordan asking questions in the Senate. I guess you would, right? He could be one of the House managers. I'm sure the president will put somebody who's good for TV on his panel to defend him in the, in the Senate. I don't know how that's going to go over, but you know he will. The American people deserve to hear from him. And let me tell you something. If we don't hear from him in the Senate, we're going to hear from him on 60 Minutes. The man will testify. America will hear what John Bolton's story is prior to November 2020. They're going to hear it. He's got a book coming out, right? Book's going to come out. I don't think he's going to wait till after the election to release the book because nobody's going to buy it then. So he's going to be on a book tour sometime in September, October. That'll be fun. We're going to hear from John Bolton. I think we should hear from him now. I mean, I do. I think we should hear from him now. I think we should end this now. I, I Look, I never thought the president was going to be removed. I always thought he was a bad president. Uh, I think he's done a bad job. Always hoped he'd be removed. I hope he'd resign. I think we're at a point now with the actions and the erratic behavior that it is incumbent on Congress to do the right thing. And I know Republicans are thinking, if we remove this guy, if we ask him to resign, it'll be like Nixon and we'll lose it all. I I beg to differ. I think people like Collins and Tom Tillis and some of the other, you know, Cory Gardner, might actually have a better chance of holding on to their seats if they do the right thing. Because it's only going to get worse, America. I mean, it's gotten worse, right? I mean, we said it's only going to get worse you know, three weeks ago, a month ago, when the House impeached him and the Republicans were pounding their chest saying how great this was for the president that he's been impeached and now the nation's going to rally around him. And I, I said, no, this is all bluster. It's fake. 
and they know that this guy's going to do worse things between now and November. Well, he's already done something unthinkable. And then after he does that unthinkable thing, he threatens to bomb their cultural institutions. I, I, look, I, I get it. If they respond in a violent way, we are in our rights to respond. We are in our rights to defend ourselves. And I'm not saying we're not within our rights to respond in kind and defend ourselves, but to threaten cultural institutions or cultural objects or cultural sites. By the way, it's a war crime, first of all. Didn't even happen during World War II. I I, I just just think about that for a minute. Cultural sites were not attacked during World War II. Did anybody blow up the pyramids during World War II? So let's just be very clear here. That what the president tweeted the other day, over the weekend, Sunday, I believe, was the most disgusting, despicable thing ever said by a president at least in my lifetime, publicly, that he is going to go after 52 sites. By the way, the, the Pentagon was asked about the 52 sites. They said they don't know what the president's talking about. Representing the 52 hostages that were taken in the 70s. Okay, so now we're holding grudges since the 70s, which I guess, I, I, I mean, it is, it is beyond belief to me that he has any support at all. America, we are at a dire spot in our republic's history. And this 2020 year is the most consequential year we will have since the 19th century in this country. Since the Civil War and the end of Reconstruction, this is a consequential time. This man is doing things that if he has continued to allow to do it, might not be reversible. And Republicans are, are talking about maybe Don Jr. in 2024 or Ivanka. Oh, great. Yes. They're monarchists. Bill Barr is a theocrat and a monarchist. And it is despicable what they are doing to this country. I am... I mean, you you guys have been listening to me. Most of you have been listening to me since week one. This is week 39. I hope you're not bored of me. Um, But uh, I have never been this. I I mean, what's the word I'm looking for? I, I have never felt this anxious and uncertain about what this man's going to do next. It's one thing when he's breaking through guardrails on domestic policy issues, even as bad as they have been, right? Now he's breaking through guardrails when it comes to war and peace. And those guardrails, the consultation of the Gang of Eight, talking to our allies, these are things that have been you know, put in place for a reason. They, they prevented presidents in the past from making the decisions that would be damaging, not only to us, but to the rest of the world, right? I mean, did he check? He he didn't talk to our allies. He didn't inform NATO before he did this. He didn't talk to the presidents of France and Germany and the prime minister of, uh, of the UK. He didn't do any of that. He just did it. He just acted on his gut. Didn't talk to Congress. He talked to Lindsey Graham. There were more people in the ballroom of Mar-a-Lago that knew about this attack before it happened than members of Congress. 
Think about that. Now, if you happen to be a dinner guest at Mar-a-Lago, you were informed, but he didn't tell the Speaker of the House. He didn't tell the Majority Leader of the Senate either. And, he, and then he said that he didn't tell Chuck Schumer, he didn't say this, but Dinesh D'Souza, the worst human being on the planet, Dinesh D'Souza tweets out that Trump didn't tell Schumer for the same reason he didn't tell the Iranians. That's despicable, and Trump retweeted it. This is America. We have rules for a reason. All right, I got a, I got a great guest coming up uh, on the other side of this break. Um, he is the mayor of Columbia, South Carolina, Mayor Benjamin, Steve Benjamin, and he is the national co-chair for Bloomberg for President. Now, before you get on me, I am inviting every presidential candidate on this program and in my radio show. And if I have a high-profile sur- surrogate, like a campaign chairman or you know a, a congress member or a senator or a governor who's supporting that campaign, I will take those people too. I have seen Mayor Benjamin on TV. I want to talk to him about other things. We talk things about things other than uh, than Bloomberg. We talk about uh, Lindsey Graham too. Um, so if you've got a favorite presidential candidate, send them my way. I have reached out to all of them. All of them. Every single one I've reached out. The first one I reached out to was the Wang gang. I thought I was going to get them and I didn't get them. Uh, I've reached out to Bernie. Biden, Buttigieg, Warren. I've reached out to all of them. I've heard from some of them, and I will be getting some of them on the show, so stay tuned. All right, I'll be right back. Listeners of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast, we've got an offer for you. Warby Parker is offering a free five-day at-home try-on. Just go to warbyparker.com slash Han for the opportunity to check out five pairs of of glasses at home for five days. Check them out. See how they look. See if you like them. Look, glasses should not cost as much as an iPhone. Warby Parker's prescription glasses start at $95. That's prescriptions. That's pretty good. All glasses include anti-reflective and anti-glare coating. There is no additional cost for that. All glasses include a hard case and a cleaning cloth. You know how much it sucks when your glasses are dirty and you don't have a cloth. These come with them. Check them out. They're good stuff. And you know what else is great about this company? For every pair of glasses you buy, they donate them to someone in need. Now, look, we all know that it's hard enough. Very few of us have prescriptions, uh, you know, have insurance for our eye care as it is. Could you imagine not having it and needing it to read and then trying to get ahead in this country? Warby Parker donates to people in need. One pair. So you buy a pair of glasses today, you're helping somebody get a pair. Go to warbyparker.com slash Han for your free offer. You're going to save some money, you're going to get a good product, and you're going to help somebody in need. Joining me right now, though, I've got a great guest for you. Uh, We've been talking about Bloomberg for president for a while on this show. Uh, I've got his national co-chair. He is the mayor of Columbia, South Carolina, Steve Benjamin Mr. Mayor, thank you for joining me tonight. Uh, thank you for having me, man. Thank you for having me. The only, I would say the only downside is on, on the whole, I got to listen to Islander uh, hockey. But that's, a whole <laughs> that's why I'm taping tonight. <laughs> the Islanders are on, and I'm a huge Islander fan. Uh, who do you root for? Uh, I actually grew, I grew up in South Jamaica, Queens, believe it or not. Oh, so, uh, so I, I, grew, I grew up a little Islander, a little, little range, so a little bit of both. But we don't have a whole lot of hockey down south in South Carolina, so... Uh, uh, but so, if I had to lean one way, it was Rangers. I ain't going to lie. So, I, I mean, South Ca- South Jamaica, Queens, you know, I went to 
to law school in, in Jamaica, Queens. I went to St. John's uh, in, oh, in, in Jamaica. Absolutely. Spent a lot of time in Jamaica. I used to represent the Greater Jamaica Development Corporation. It was one of my clients uh, oh, awesome. uh, back in the day. Okay. Great, great group. And um, but in Jamaica, you're kind of on the border. You could go either way. Islanders or Rangers. So it's like it's kind of like right there because Queens is actually the Islanders biggest market is Queens. Believe it or not, I can only imagine. I can only imagine. But I was was a weird Queens kid who rooted for the Yankees, too. So go figure. There you go. I'm a a Long Island kid who rooted for the Yankees. Well, well, great to have you on, Mr. Mayor. And I've been, you know, look. I, I'm a New Yorker. I watched Mike Bloomberg be mayor of New York, and I thought he did a great job as mayor. I didn't agree with stop and frisk. I thought that was mm-hmm. a bad policy. Uh, but beyond that, I saw a, a city that ran well when he was there, and that's a sure. city that is hard to run. I mean, ask anybody who's ever done it, and they'll tell you it's probably the second hardest job in the United States, and now he's running for the first hardest job. You know, tell me, one, you know, he got in late. Why is he getting in sure. so late, and, and what's his theory of the case? Well, I, I know that there were some um, grave concerns, just personal conversations I had with him throughout the course of the year over whether or not we were going to be, be able to beat Donald Trump. And I think even at some of the polls we've seen, uh, some I saw today, you know, on the, on those who, who want to impeach and, and you know, move versus those who want to keep him in. I mean, he's, 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 he's running still pretty hard. And uh, there were grave concerns. He spoke early in the year, last year, I guess it would be now. Um, and I know he was seriously looking at it, thought that there wasn't a lane uh, for him. And the right. closer and closer we got, and you start thinking about, you know, and it, it, it sounds, it, it sounds uh, uh, as if you're giving a hyperbole right now. But we're really talking about preservation of the republic right now. Yeah, uh, he, he 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 felt compelled that he needed to do every single thing he could do to stop Donald Trump from being reelected. Felt he felt, and I felt we we, we I shared my my convictions with him uh, mid September October. He was uniquely positioned. Um, having, yes, run not only the largest city, but, you know, New York City uh, has the largest economy, uh, gross metropolitan product of, of, of every country uh, yeah. of every country in the world. Hey, America, Christopher Hahn here, the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. What is with the president and the right-wing echo chamber encouraging these astroturf protests against stay-at-home orders around the country? It's ridiculous, and it needs to stop. Check out the Aggressive Progressive Podcast wherever you download podcasts. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, COVID continues to reshape the law. Supreme Court arguments will be held by teleconference. The justices won't even know if the lawyers are wearing pants, which is fair given the eternal mystery of what's under those black robes. Los Angeles County is springing 25% of its inmates. The sheriff suggests folks get ready for what might be a spike in crime. Check it all out on the next episode of Too Many Lawyers. Save nine of them. Right. Um, uh, $100 billion budget. Uh, and he managed that process of, incredibly well. He is, he is uh, uh, not maybe a singular businessman. Uh, what he's been able to build since 1981 at Bloomberg LP, yep. employing 300,000 folks. And, and obviously, what he's done in terms of philanthropy, um, uh, eight, eight to uh, $9 billion to great causes all across the globe. And I, and I, I felt firmly, and I know that others have too, that you've had. You have great philanthropists, great business people, great public servant service president. It's rare you get the opportunity to have all three of them wrapped in right. And and uh, and I think that's what Mike represents, and, and why I signed on early, and why we be getting around the country, uh, not just the first four primary states, but all around the country, uh, taking this message of take of beating Donald Trump uh, to the people. Well, he's really you know running ads everywhere. I'm seeing them in New York, uh, so I yeah. guess he's paying for national time on on a lot of these cable networks. And uh, you know the ads I've seen. 
and, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, they don't seem like primary ads to me. They seem like anti-Trump ads, which whether he wins or loses this primary uh, seems to be good, right? I mean, because you're, you're, he's attacking Trump and Trump needs to be attacked. He, uh, Mike, he spoke up forcefully against Donald Trump at the 2016 Democratic National Convention. He hadn't stopped since then. I mean, yep. he uh, helped, helped us win 21 swing districts in 2018. Uh, you know, just this this uh, last November um, helped beat the NRA in the own backyard. Uh, took them straight up, and and I think this type of campaign. And I and I and I, I wonder if we're seeing a if we're crossing a Rubicon here. In that, uh, are we switching from 20th century campaigns to 21st century campaigns? We can't spend an entire year in just the first four states and, and hope and pray for momentum yeah. coming out. Six six percent of delegates will be de- decided. Uh, by by the time my state votes, we're the four, largest of the four states uh, in the, in the first four process. Uh, the vast majority, 60, 70 percent of delegates, will be decided in March, and that's where we train our fire on, on on those March states and on the states that will be in full competition uh, come uh, next November. And we're investing in them, and we're investing them heavily. And not only investing in Mike Bloomberg's campaign, but we're, we're investing in beating Donald Trump. And we're investing in Democrats and, 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 and folks up and down the ballot. You know, some of the places uh, we've made the commitment to, to stay present and, and uh, all, on the ground there through November, whether Mike Bloomberg's there or not. This right. is a commitment to the entire ticket. And, uh, and, I, and I believe it's going to pay dividends for Democrats down the road. So, you know, let me ask you this. I mean, you're from South Carolina. I mean, originally from Queens, which is fine. I, I don't hold that against you, but you're and from I, South Carolina. I usually <laughs> tell it to a whole lot of people. It gets me no votes in South Carolina. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're from South Carolina. He's he's skipping South Carolina, right? Um, yeah. Which, mm-hmm. which you know, I, I, I question that strategy. I'm looking at Mike Bloomberg's strategies as almost a convention strategy. Like Mike Bloomberg is assuming that the first four primaries will be split between four separate people. And then Super Tuesday, because he's the only one really who's competitive all over the country right now, because he's got this great wealth that he's amassed through his career and he could spend in all these states where other candidates really don't have those resources yet. So he's banking on the fact that he'll do well on Super Tuesday because of his of his organization in those Super Tuesday t- states and then hope for, you know, enough delegates to be a player at the convention. Am I off base here? Oh, we're 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 intensely focused on the delegate on delegate count. Yes, we are. I mean, I mean, so we, we want obviously the, the goal is to is to secure the nomination and, and to win this thing next November. But yeah, I mean, obviously we're playing playing a great strategy game. We got in this thing very late, you know, and right. um, I mean, I, I've I've served as 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 an unofficial counselor to several of the presidential campaigns who were looking to trying to understand South Carolina, and I still have some friends who who, who call on me regularly asking for advice and counsel, and I'm fine with that. But we would have started here literally 365 days after some of the first campaigns were on the ground, right? So 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 the the time it takes to build. Uh, the organization to be competitive, we, w- we would have been at a disadvantage regardless of, of Mike's wealth, which I might add, he gives all of his wealth away. Is, is it, it's profit to charity every single year. I know, but the, yeah, yeah, but 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 the but the but the opportunity to focus on March states uh, is, is so incredible because right now we have the vast majority of our candidates spending almost all the time in Iowa. Iowa's a great place. Yeah. I mean, I mean with, uh, last time I was... I got nothing against Iowa. Was a, oh, man. It was, right. 14, it was 14 degrees below zero the last time I was there. Other than that, uh, that's the it, only it, thing I got it, against it. 14 it, degrees below uh, zero, that's too much. Uh, yeah, you know, but the, 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 the idea that we spend the vast majority of our time in Iowa and, and New Hampshire 
But in Iowa, particularly, where we're going to spend all this time and money and, and resources ignoring Texas, ignoring North Carolina, ignoring Michigan, ignoring, ignoring California. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, ignoring California. And 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 then next November, it's highly likely, not not dispositive, uh, that Trump will win Iowa. Right. I mean, it's just not. It's not. It's not the way we should spend our time. And and uh, just in the past, I'll, I'll be with Mike in North Carolina uh, tomorrow. We, we've been to Alabama this week and Texas this week. I was with them in both places. And we're getting around just really taking the straight to the American people, making sure every state knows exactly how important they are, particularly states that, that, that actually show a lot more right. diversity, look a lot more like America. All right, Mayor, hold that thought. I'm going to take a quick break. All right, so you don't have to hear that commercial because that was on my radio show. And here's part two of my conversation with Mayor Benjamin. They always tell me not to tell people when I'm not live, but I feel I need to be honest, Mike. I say the truth yeah, is on the air thing. when I start the show. I'm going to lie and say I'm live when I'm taping. No, you don't say anything. You just talk. No, I'm going to tell them the truth because that's what I do. Hannity could lie and say he's live when we all know he tapes everything, including his callers. But I'm going to tell the truth and tell you when I'm not. And I'm not going to take calls when I'm taping. Everybody wants me to take calls when I'm taping. I'm not doing that. I'm not setting up calls other than guests. Like That's the great right. man, guns, the great man I'm talking to right now, the mayor of Columbia, uh, South Carolina, via uh, Jamaica, not, Queens, my friend. Han, you're not, Han, you're not passionate enough. Man. <laughs> you got to, you got to work on that. Man. You, you know, the secret that. to being a political <laughs> pundit for as long as I've been is to be a little entertaining. You know what I'm saying? I am not the highest ranking guy to ever work for Chuck Schumer, but I am the most entertaining, other than Anthony Weiner, and I don't. Take pictures of myself you're like good. that. You're good. <laughs> you're, you're, you're good. Stay number two. Stay number two. Yeah, exactly. Stay number two. Exactly. So, uh, so, Mr. Mayor, I mean, I really do appreciate you coming on. I've uh, I've seen you on uh, on television talking about uh, the mayor. You're very passionate about it, and um, you know, you know, just I, I'm I'm just I'm stuck on the strategy, and I think it's a good strategy so long as Biden doesn't win Iowa, right? Because I think if Biden wins Iowa, he's going to roll through the early states, and he's going to roll through South Carolina. If he loses Iowa. Um, if he loses Iowa, it's anybody's game. I think. I think it could be an open convention if Biden loses Iowa, unless Bernie somehow has a way to roll through. Yeah, he so, had a strong quarter. He had a strong. He quarter. had a very I strong mean, quarter, but Mike Bloomberg has that in like in a cup, a change cup in his car right now. So, <laughs> so you know, I'm not really. I don't think your candidate's worried about that. <laughs> Let me tell you, I, I um, just like Mike Bloomberg. Uh, whoever comes out with the nomination, we're going to support it against Donald Trump. You know, we just need we need candidates who just who believe in uh, in, in the better angels of our nature, who embrace fact over fiction. You know, we just want to do something, right? And not talk. You know, and that and that's why you know when it, when it came down to me, I had spent time with every single one of the major candidates. I just needed to sort, support someone who'd been a real leader on on the issues I cared about: gun safety, education, and climate, and you know, in the economy. And um, so, you know, but but we're committed, um, obviously, as I know Mike is, uh, to support the nominee, whoever it happens to be. But I'm telling you, we're going to run hard. This is a 21st century kind of campaign, something different. Right. Uh, we, 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 we're going to we're going to we're going to try to break the mold here and and, and run hard and fast and amass an incredible team of, of dedicated professionals and volunteers to take us through um, March and all the way to the convention in Milwaukee. Well, you know, I like the fact that he's putting money behind some of these candidates that are in districts that might be in jeopardy because of their impeachment vote. I hope he continues to do that. I, I hope that, you know, whether he's the nominee or not, uh, no. Mayor Bloomberg continues his fight to, you know, oust Donald Trump because we really need a warrior like him 
you know, in this in this in this year. This is a consequential year. I've been saying it's the most consequential year since 1865 in this country. And uh, I, I've been saying 1876. So we, we're pretty we're pretty doggone close to each other. 1876, uh, 1865. Yeah, it's been a long time since we've had a year like this. <laughs> so it's it's a it's a long time, and I think that we've got uh, we've got a lot of work. So. One of the elections that's going to happen next year, you know, let me switch tracks because uh, we know where you are in Bloomberg, and, and, I, and I think I've talked a lot about it. But you've got a very important race in South Carolina where Lindsey Graham seems to have lost his mind. And, you know, and, and you know, what is up with this guy? I mean, what, what happened to him? Dude, I wish I knew. Um, you know, uh, many, many moons ago, Lindsey was every Democrat's favorite Republican, you know, here in South Carolina. He's was, was pragmatic and get some things done. Yep. Um, and uh, somewhere along the way, I believe it was after the gubernatorial election uh, in, in 18, uh, the primary was over, and the guy who came in a close second to our incumbent governor indicated that he was going to take Lindsey on. And Lindsey started going hard right. Yeah. And somewhere, somewhere along the way, he fell off the damn cliff. Yeah. Um, the uh, I will tell you, um, his opponent Jamie Harrison, his primary opponent. I mean, he he has he has other others who who may also contest for the nomination. But Jamie is the Democrat. I believe will be the Democratic nominee. Who I'm supporting. Uh, a hell of a personal narrative. Hardworking um, candidate. He's breaking fundraising records for every Democrat who's ever challenged Lindsey. Uh, the vote break, uh, breakdown here. Uh, it, it's it's pretty compelling, and I, and I, I would encourage people take a look at Jamie Harrison. Uh, now, he, he's got a real shot to take Lindsey on. Do you really I, I think that he's got a chance to win? Do you think a Democrat could take out Lindsey Graham? I mean, he's gone I so do. far right, and he I guess he's not really getting primary now, right? Yeah, the, the, yeah, he he is he is not right, as of, as we speak. But you know, the you know, perfect year would be obviously a non presidential year. Uh, but but I, I tell you, man, um, with the ninth fastest growing state in, in, in the country, right? Um, there's still there's still over 400,000 unregistered African American voters in the, in the state. That I know Jamie's focusing very hard on on, on registering. Uh, you look at um, uh, uh, Joe Cunningham's uh, race, uh, you know, uh, down uh, around Charleston, South Carolina's first uh, congressional district, where people had written that one off, previously rep- uh, represented by Mark Sanford uh, yep. and by Tim Scott. Uh, we we won that one and won it pretty doggone um, solidly. I think uh, Joe's going to be returned next election as well. These suburban uh, coastal districts are are seeing massive influxes of people from from New York and Ohio and other places. Um, and I I just think I think uh, he's uh, he, Jamie's raised over four million so far this year. Wow! Uh, so he's going to be competitive. He's going to be competitive. And um, how much do you think you, you know, need so we, to win to be competitive to be a, a real competitive candidate in South Carolina? I, I, I expect I expect um, probably somewhere around seven million. I think he'll. Close. I mean, he, he, every time Lindsey does something stupid, uh, Jamie sees an uptick on fundraising, right? Uh, which is, of course, every other day. Yeah. Uh, so um, you know, so we've got to register more voters. We got to you know mobilize those voters. Got to communicate with folks you know who um, who have no attachment to Graham. All these all these new voters here, and just really continue to persuade um, suburban voters, a lot of white voters, um, you know, to, to keep moving away from um, from the Republican Party. Hmm. And I, I am I'm, I'm convinced I'm convinced we can we can we can do it. But do, he's 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 running a great campaign. Do you have problems in South Carolina, like in North Carolina, with the with the Republicans in power trying to suppress the vote? Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it, that's a challenge all all across the country, and and um, uh, and it, it's a, it's I mean, 
we we talk about 1865 and 1876. You know, 1876 was was the election between Sam Tilden, a New Yorker, and, and Rutherford Hayes that ended Reconstruction. Yeah. And began this real this period uh, of, of, of historic discrimination of those who of those citizens who had been enfranchised. Yep. And it's never and it's never ended. It hasn't ended, and, yeah. And it's, correct. It's, it's, it's never ended. So so we have to be as um, strategic and thoughtful. We can't play checkers while these guys are playing chess. Yep. And make sure that everyone has a chance to have their vote uh, cast and counted uh, so we're standing up efforts here. Mike Bloomberg, um, as you might know, invested five five million in, in Stacey Abrams' fair That's fight great. in Georgia. I think it's one of the and, most and, important and, things you could do in this um, election. Absolutely, absolutely. We're going to keep doing it all all across the country to make sure that folks have an opportunity to have their votes um, uh, counted and their voices heard. That's amazing stuff. Well, Mayor Benjamin, I really do appreciate you joining me, uh, Mayor Stephen Benjamin. He's the mayor of Columbia, South Carolina. What's your Twitter handle? Uh, Steve Benjamin, SC. Steve Benjamin, SC on Twitter. He is the national co-chairman of the Bloomberg, Mike Bloomberg for president campaign. Mayor Benjamin, thank you for joining me. Hey, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Hope to bring you again sometime soon. All right, I'm back. I, you know, I thought Mayor Benjamin in his own right was a great guest. I, uh, interesting guy, grew up here in New York. I hope you liked that little bit I lived it left in at the beginning of uh, part two. Uh, I come back from the radio break. I was pre-taping my radio show last week because I was preempted on the East Coast because uh, there was an NHL game and, uh, you know, I had to do the show for my other stations. So, uh, you know, I don't like to say I'm live. I usually come back. I'm back. I'm back. I'm live. I'm taking your calls or I'm not taking your calls because I got to guess whatever. So I left that in. Hope it lightened the mood a little bit. I I know that I am. I know that I'm 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 in a different mood tonight. I know you're probably sensing that if you listen to me for a long time. I'm still optimistic. I do not think he survives the election this year. I just hope we can wait that long. You know, I mean, this is my concern: is that he is doing so much damage. That it is a major, major, major risk to leave him in office. And we have a party that's just fiddling while the republic burns. And it's sad. It's just absolutely sad. So stay vigilant, my friends. Get out there. Look, I mean, um, polls came out today. Joe Biden is leading or tied in both Iowa and New Hampshire. And I have said this before. I'll say it again. I said it. To Mayor Benjamin, you might have heard in that uh, that interview. By the way, could you tell at the beginning of the interview that I went all Long Island in my voice? I don't know. I don't know if I sound as Long Island right now as I did in that opener when I was kind of losing it a little bit about, you know, they kept saying, stop saying you're not live. I'm like, no, I'm going to say I'm going to tell the truth. It's like it's like me saying I'm live on this podcast. You know, there are some people that believe that podcasts are live. Just, you know, go talk to them. <laughs> They're out there. Um, you know, the, I've said it before. I'll say it again. If Biden wins Iowa, I think he's going to win the nomination. And now that, you know, he's always been right there in New Hampshire. I don't know what's going to happen in New Hampshire. Bernie won it solidly, um, four years ago. I think he's going to be very competitive this year. And, uh, and don't forget Elizabeth Warren is also from neighboring Massachusetts. So, um, New Hampshire is a wild card, but if he wins Iowa, there is no reason for his lead to evaporate in South Carolina. None, especially if he comes top two, top three in New Hampshire, which is 
likely. I mean, I think it's almost certain if he wins Iowa, that'll be top two or three in New Hampshire. So let's see what happens. I mean, you know, Bloomberg is playing the convention game, clearly. If there's a three-way split in the first three states, he's got a shot to take 20% of the delegates on Super Tuesday and be a real player at a convention and an open convention. But if there isn't a three-way split, if Biden sweeps the first three states, um, does Bloomberg get out before Super Tuesday? That's the question. I don't know. Uh, We'll see. We'll see what happens. And I'll have other candidates on. And again, tweet me at Christopher Hahn. Let me know what you think. If there are questions you want me to ask them, happy to try to to ask those questions to the campaigns. Uh, you know, this is going to be, a it, like I said, the most consequential year since the 19th century. That's the 1800s for uh, those of you who, it always confuses people, right? It is going to be the most consequential year, election year since the 1800s. And we have got to stay on our game and be ready to push back with the truth always. Because, you know, they are just, they're rolling over for this guy and they're rolling over in a way that I think is just horrible. They're rolling over in a way that is dangerous for the Republic. We don't have a Congress. We don't have at least one branch, one house of the Congress, the Senate run by Mitch McConnell that seems willing to exert their power as a check on the president. We have a president who is now basically committing an act of war against another nation without consulting Congress. I look again, I I know that there are a lot of you out there that think it's okay. That think, you know, this guy's dead, the world is better off because he's dead. And maybe that's true. But there are rules. There are guardrails. There are customs and traditions and laws that separate us from everybody else. And if it becomes okay for nations to take out, you know, generals from other nations just because they can and they want to and they have what they think is evidence of some plot, that's not a kind of world that we're going to want to live in. It's a scarier, more dangerous place. I mean, is every country going to be justified now? in taking out you know generals and and leaders of other countries because they feel threatened where is the rule of law we are supposed to be the champions of the rule of law and i you know look if this guy was a, ch- a terrorist go to the hague and by the way if i was iran i'd go to the hague about this he was not a stateless terrorist Our authorization to use force did not apply to him. And the president used force anyway. It was an act of war against another country. And Congress should have been involved with that decision. And they probably would have changed his mind. Scary. Consequential year, America. Consequential year. Get ready. It is only going to get more intense before it's over. All right. I want to thank everybody for listening. Really, tell a friend. Subscribe to the podcast if you like it. Uh, Tweet it out. Share it with friends. I'm growing and um, really do appreciate all the support I've been getting from you out there. Um, And and, and trust me, it doesn't go unnoticed. It really does. So I really appreciate it. And I got to remind you, as always, to seek the truth. Question everything and everyone, America, even me. Seek the truth. 
I know it's out there. And I know you'll find it if you look for it. I'm Chris Hahn, and I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast.